Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Foundations in Faith. Join Monsignor Frank Lane as he offers insights into the readings heard at Mass. And now, Foundations in Faith with Monsignor Frank Lane. This is Father Frank Lane. We're continuing our program, Foundations in Faith. Today we're going to look at the Holy Gospel according to John chapter 15, verses 26 to 27, and chapter 16, verses 12 to 15. It is uh, a gospel that is uh, used on Pentecost Sunday in the church, and it's so, therefore, as uh, the gospel for Pentecost Sunday, it's going to focus on the role of the Holy Spirit in, in the world, in the church, and in our own lives. And so Jesus, in just the preceding verses to, in chapter 15, 26 to 27, um, Jesus is talking about the fact that the world will hate him and therefore hate us. And it says, um, if I had not performed such works among them as no one else has ever done, they would be blameless. But as it is, they have seen all this, and still they hate both me and my Father. But all this was only to fulfill the words written in their law. They hated me for no reason. And in so doing, quotes Psalm 35. So it is then in, in the, our gospel begins now in response to that reflection upon the fulfillment of the psalm that even those who have seen the signs that Jesus performed have hated both him and his father. The implication, of course, being that they will hate us as well. And then he goes on to say, and this is our gospel today, but when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who issues from the father, will he will be my witness and you too will be my witnesses because you have been with me from the outset. And so he's already now establishing a relationship between the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, and the witness of the disciples and therefore the witness of the church. What, what's happening here then is that the Holy Spirit is now actively, you know, we talk, we've talked about before the, the idea that after the ascension of the Lord, that um, the, that Jesus is still kind of incarnationally with us. And as Jesus and the Spirit are one and they are one with the Father, then certainly true, certainly it's true that the Holy Spirit also being one with Jesus is part of the incarnation of Jesus in the church, in the sacraments, and so forth. And so now he's saying that the mission of the Spirit and the mission of the church are the same mission. They are, therefore, to be witnesses, witnesses to the truth because they have all seen what the Lord has been able to do. And he said, then he says to them, after he assures them that they and the Spirit will work in tandem for the proclamation of the truth in order to fulfill that mandate that we have from John 20 when Jesus appears to the disciples after the resurrection and says, as the Father has sent me, I send you. Well, he sends us also, but now he's telling us he's sending us with the, with the Holy Spirit, with the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of the Father and the Son, and that he is sending that Spirit among us incarnate in the church, that we incorporated into the life of the Spirit and incorporated into the incarnate life of Christ through sacrament and church become now a united effort, become now a, a, a unified movement forward um, to proclaim the gospel and the truth of Jesus Christ in the world. 
And then he says, after he assures them that it's going to be this cooperative venture, this unified venture, he says, I still have many things to say to you, but they would be too much for you now. And and so we have a great deal to learn, Jesus is saying, as the church begins its long journey through time. And that certainly, and this is one of the great debates within the church about the nature of revelation. There was a period of time when, and it, and it, it is true that, that revelation, that new revelation certainly ended with the age of the apostles because everything that was able to be communicated had been communicated. But the long process of understanding that and interpreting that through the ages and in relationship to contemporary times in every age and every time is the ongoing mission of the church and the Holy Spirit is there also because he is the spirit of truth and he will be my witness. So the Holy Spirit moves then within Within the, uh, within the revelation deposited with the church, not in the sense that somehow or other God gave us uh, a pre-formatted um, list of propositions that incorporate the whole faith. That's not what happened. What happened is, and I think this becomes very, very clear in the work especially of Joseph Ratzinger and in the work of Verbum Dei in the Second Vatican Council, is that it is, in fact that the revelation, primary revelation is the Logos, is the Son of God. He contains within his person the wholeness of truth, the wholeness of the revelation of the Father. And, and that means that it is living in Christ and moving deeper into the heart of Christ under the guidance and through the witness of the Holy Spirit that we began to realize ever more deeply the wonder of the, of the wholeness and the fullness of revelation as it, as it embraces every time and space and as it embraces the church throughout the ages. And, and I think that this, that there, was, there was a strong reaction a, against um, the idea of revelation in the 20th century. I mean, there's always been that, but in the 20th century, it was particularly focused and particularly um, intense. And accepting the fact, erroneously accepting the fact, that the positive faith, the revelation that comes through Jesus Christ, was simply a set of propositions, many more creative theologians began to wander off the reservation and began then to to kind of dismantle the idea of the apostolic content of Revelation and move it, therefore, from the church, which is the incarnate presence of Jesus Christ and the Spirit, move it, therefore, simply into the consciousness of man, the consciousness of the human person. And in doing that, they 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 have latched onto something that has value, but something that cannot stand alone. And and that becomes then the critical issue, that certainly the reception of revelation, the reception of the teaching of the church, has a certain subjective element to it because it informs each of our lives. And in so doing, it takes on a conformity to who we are as persons because that's how our consciousness works. And uh, But it does not cut it loose from the foundation, from the base, so that it is only of ourselves that we speak. And there, I think, is where the Council put those pieces back together again. 
and where this whole gospel that we have right now is of such crucial importance. We do not leave behind the magisterium of the church, which is the product and the fruit of the revelation of Jesus Christ to his people. Secondary fonts of revelation through whom the revelation of Christ comes to us is scripture and tradition. And tradition is not this rock-solid monolith. Tradition involves the living organism of the church. Tradition involves the living consciousness of the people of God as they move through the ages, guided by the Holy Spirit through the institutional church and the hierarchical church. And so that we do not so subjectivize it that we all of a sudden become fonts of revelation to ourselves. And that's where a lot of it leads. We can, we can emphasize the individual consciousness of the human person, and we can respect that, and we must respect that. And we must understand that faith comes into that consciousness, which is then in some ways configured to who we are, how we operate, how we understand. But it never, never loses its connection to the foundations of that faith, which is the magisterium of the church, which is derived both from scripture and from the ongoing historical consciousness of the people of God and the operating of of the hierarchical church under the inspiration and the guidance and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. So we have to put the two pieces back together again um, to have a complete view of, of what this revelation really is to us. But in every case, we surrender to the truth and we witness with the Spirit to the truth of Jesus Christ. It's common in our day and age we talk about my truth. Well, I suppose... I suppose that we can say psychologically there might be such a thing, but certainly outside of ourselves it's not so. That is in fact a denial that anything is true except what I perceive. And that of course is very much endemic to our society and very much contributing to the disintegration of our society where there is no longer any kind of a common bond where it all becomes just several millions of me's and, and that actually does not work. It cannot hold. Um, as Yeats says in the second coming, you know, the center cannot hold. Things fall apart when those kinds of things begin to take place. So we are in a crisis in the church. We're in a crisis in the church because of the triumph in our own age of a radical, as uh, C.B. McPherson calls it, the, the, uh, individual, the radical individualism. And... Um, and that uh, it, it kind of isolates the human person. Whereas the church is a source of unity and a bond of unity for us. It's where we are, in a, in a good sense of the word, disciplined to conform our lives to that which is utterly true in the person of Jesus Christ and not try to fragment Jesus Christ into a a multi-million set of individual particles that are in many ways unrelated to each other. So the Feast of Pentecost then and and the coming of the Spirit is, is the glue, the bond of unity, and therefore the bond of peace within the church. 
And so he says, I have many things to tell you, but they will be too much for you now. So I give you the Spirit, and he will unfold the mystery of myself to you in the ages that are to come through the office of the apostles and through the ministry of the church. But when the Spirit of truth comes, he'll lead you to the complete truth. And so then we have we have our primitive perceptions of the truth, which will be matured and developed through the ages by the Holy Spirit. And he will lead you to the complete truth, since he will not be speaking as from himself, but only what he has learned. And he will tell you of the things to come. So once again, as Jesus has told us in the gospel, I say nothing but what the Father has told me to say. I do nothing but except what the Father has, has told me to do because the Father and I are one. He is now revealing to us, John's gospel is now revealing to us that the Holy Spirit is wrapped into that unity as well. And this is the final piece of the Trinitarian gospel of John where the spirit now becomes, he's not speaking as an independent entity any more than Jesus ever spoke as an independent entity. They speak in unison with one another as they come forth from the Father. And so they are the perfect reflections of the Father and the spirit of the Father and the Son. And, uh, and, and that becomes, of course, a great issue within Christianity, which if, if we have time, it, it will be an interesting thing to, to explore. But let us simply say that the revelation of the Spirit is the revelation of the wholeness of the Trinity and the oneness of the Trinity. And Jesus is here saying that he is not kind of a renegade Trinitarian person. He is part of the unity. He is an element of the unity of the whole, just as Jesus himself is. And he will tell you of the things to come, and he will therefore witness to the coming of the Lord. For the things to come are the second coming of Christ. The things to come are the consummation of the world. And the Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us toward a deeper understanding of what that might mean. He will glorify me, since all he tells you will be taken from what is mine. And here again, just as Jesus says nothing or does nothing except what the Father tells him to do or what the Father says, so the Spirit now is saying the same thing. Whatever the Father and the Son speak to each other is spoken also by the, by the Spirit. And so he is taking now, since he is entering into a form of kind of an incarnate, co-incarnate presence within the church of the triune God, through the presence of the Son and the Holy Spirit, that he is certainly taking from what the one who has come before the fullness of the Spirit has, has done and said. Because now again, everything the Father has is mine, and this is why I said all he tells you will be taken from what is mine. This, it's, it's fascinating in a way. And and you know next Sunday uh, next Sunday the church will will celebrate the the feast of the Trinity, and we might want to look really closely then at at even this gospel, which is the Pentecost gospel, which is in fact talking about the role that the Spirit plays in the Trinity, and in the church. So it's a two pronged gospel, a gospel that tells us who God is, and a gospel who tells us who we are, and and that's the continuing. Matt, that is the continuing fascination 
of the revelation of Jesus Christ, of the Logos, of the Word, who John tells us it was in the beginning, was with God and was God. And through him all things came to be, and without him nothing is. It's kind of fascinating then that as this begins to unfold gradually, gradually, we begin to realize in this Gospel of John that the fullness of what has taken place in the created order, the fullness of the creation's relationship to the Father and the Son and the Spirit, and the fullness of the truth and the identity of who we are. The Gospel always reveals not only God to us, but us to ourselves. And I think that that's that's something that we can continually remember. What is the Gospel saying to me about myself or about the church of which I am a part? What is the gospel saying about us, not just what is the gospel saying about God himself? And here we have this really very clearly that the advocate comes. And the advocate, it's, it's the, the word, that, the word that, that he uses is uh, kind of a uh, borrowing from the Aramaic. It's parakletos. And uh, we call it the paraclete. And it is a juridical term in ancient Judaism. Um, we, we never, and their juridical system was different than our own. We have a prosecutor and a defense attorney. In, in ancient Israel, that, that office was the same person. And they were the witness, the witness who testified against someone, did so primarily as a witness for that which the accused was alleged to have violated. There was no such thing um, as a disinterested witness. So that this is not kind of an objective um, witness, an objective um, um, accuser or an objective defense attorney coming into, the, uh, coming into the world to win a case, to win an argument. But they witnessed to what they had seen. They witnessed to the truth of the matter. And without prejudice, in, uh, in, in Hebrew law, without prejudice to innocence or guilt. It was not the innocence or the guilt of the person that was at stake. It was what the truth of the matter was. And, you know, it's interesting, too, because we take that element into the sacramental life of our church. We take it in, into the element of, of the sacrament of confession, of reconciliation. The Council of Trent says the priest in the confessional is a judge, we recoil from that in a way because we say, you know, who is he to judge me? He also is a flawed human being, and so we are. But that's not what Trent means by that. By what Trent means by that is that we are the witness who seeks to extract the truth from the situation. And so the confession is a place where the, where the penitent should be led to express and manifest the truth of the, of their, of the interiority of their lives and, uh, and, the, and the truth and the reality of the sins they have committed. So the judge or, or, the, or the, the paraclete or the, uh, the um, witness of, of the priest in the confessional 
is intended to be something of what Jesus is talking about here, to bring forth the truth from the situation. It is not an apologetic presence. It is not a presence that says, here's some clever arguments to to overcome the unbelievers. It is simply to say, we are here to reveal the truth. Now, whether someone accepts that truth or does not accept the truth is, is, is up to them. No one is forced to accept it. But the witness is the truth. And, and, and I think that, that at times, too, we can take this. Revelation is true. The proclamations of the church are true. That doesn't mean... <clears throat> that they necessarily must conform to logical, rigorous, logical rationalism. It means that the truth is, in fact, the presence of the living God. And so the truth is personal in the church. The truth is about a person and not necessarily about a proposition. Propositions that authentically express the interiority of the person, the person of the, of the Son, the person of the Spirit, the person of the Father, that truth which reveals the interiority of the Trinity is therefore the truth of which we speak in the church. There are times when that truth can conform to, to good reason. There are times when it remains simply experiential within the church. And so the idea that somehow the human mind can capture the uh, can capture the authenticity that the human mind can capture the wholeness of of the truth of God is false. It is only able to be contained corporately because one person is not able in any way to capture the the depth of the truth of the church, of the truth of God. It is so far beyond us. It lives, therefore, necessarily in community, and it necessarily is a corporate consciousness that draws the individual consciousness to itself. In, an, in a moment of the revelation of a person who is known first through love and obedience, then through the machinations of the human mind, that it is first and foremost uh, an, an act of love between the Son and the person, between the living God and the individual person. This kind of dynamic of the, uh, of the role that the Spirit plays in the opening up of, of the mind of the church to the fullness of the person of Christ. This is what we're talking about when we talk about the Holy Spirit. And this is what we're talking about when we talk about the triune God. And this is what we're talking about when we talk about the mystery of Revelation. So that all of those who want to kind of wander off the reservation and uh, decide that, you know, they can go this journey alone. What they are attempting to do is take the infinite and the transcendent and to cram it within their own subjectiveness, their own consciousness, their own reason, their own person. And that is impossible. For in that, then, they are claiming to be able to become God. And that is exactly what the sin of Eve was, that she wanted to be like God. She wanted to be God. And so she took that fatal step, tempted by the serpent, um, in order to unravel the pristine order of, of, 
of the human of the creation of man and woman so that we 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 see that this spirit this feast of pentecost sometimes pentecost sunday is sometimes called you know the birthday of the church well in a sense of course that's true because that's when all of the pieces kind of fit together and they all kind of fit together in in a magnificent whole that far transcends the capacity of the human mind to comprehend and yet at the same time exists through the church as the opportunity to experience and therefore to process in an understanding way that which the Lord has given to us for our life, for our salvation. And so when Jesus says to us, when the advocate comes who I shall send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who issues from the Father, he will be my witness and you too will be witnesses because you have been with me from the outset. We will be co-witnesses with the spirit. But Jesus is not here singling out any one person. He is talking now to the disciples. He's talking to the apostolic college, the apostolic community who co-witness to the truth in their union with the Holy Spirit in a way that unfolds throughout the ages, not on the basis of new revelation, but on the basis of the deepening of the comprehension of that which has already been given to us in the person of Jesus Christ and which has therefore been incarnationally contained within the church and the sacraments throughout the ages in in which it is manifest and explained through the presence of the spirit and and for for us then i think especially in in times when we perceive great division within the church and and great struggle and difficulty within the church for us we ought to realize and to understand then that we can see the sadness of disunity. We can see the sadness of fragmentation and factionalization of that which is essentially and eternally one. We can take that and lament it, but it should be for us also a moment of personal reflection. How am I singularizing revelation in an absolutist sort of way in my own life? How have I decided that my consciousness of revelation is normative for the church? How am I doing in my willingness to surrender to the truth of the Spirit in my life, which comes to me even in troubled times through the magisterium of the church, which is the open reception to the Lord Jesus Christ as he manifests himself and instructs us through the scripture, and through the ongoing historical consciousness of the church, which we call tradition. This, this, whole, this whole mystery, we, we have run into the terrible problem of buying a paradigm of Christianity, which is contrary to the scripture. And whenever we take and politicize the church, whenever we see it solely as a sociological um, institution, when we kind of grasp at it in some way, shape, or form as kind of a a political cause, all of that kind of thing. It's not something, it's just not something that is healthy. And in, in so doing, we contribute to the disunity that we experience in the church throughout the world. So 
as a gift to the Lord, as a gift from ourselves to the Lord on this, in, this, in this time of Pentecost, let us t- tell the Lord and ask the Lord to help us to surrender not only our hearts but our consciousness also and our minds to the wonder and the glory of the triune God, of the Father and the Son and the Spirit as it comes to us incarnationally in the sacraments and in the church for the good of ourselves, of our whole world, and for the salvation not only of our souls, but of the souls of all people who turn to the Lord in faith. Foundations in Faith is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of Foundations in Faith are available at stgabrielradio.com. Who bad?